please, if you have a Bible in front of you, please turn with me back to that portion of Scripture we've read. So it's Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Please keep that open if you would. So we have a lot to cover this morning as we look at Genesis 5. So let's not delay in any way, let's not procrastinate, let's just get to it. And let's begin our sermon by asking three preliminary questions about this text, okay? Three preliminary questions. And the first one is a shocker, okay? The first question is this. Should we not just skip Genesis 5 and go into Genesis 6? Should we not just skip Genesis 5? You see what I mean? You know, this is a a, a long list of, uh, I don't know, ages and years and facts and figures. Can we not just sort of forget about it and move into something that's maybe, I don't know, a little bit more lively. Well, no, we can't, can we? We can't. That's not how it works. You see, over the last six months or so, maybe the last six, yeah, six to eight months, in our evening services, what's happened is we've encountered quite a number of lists like this. You know, we've encountered quite a lot of genealogies, and I'll say now... What I say every single time that happens in our evening services, what do we say? All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. You see, at first glance, you know, we might look at Genesis 5 and just see it as being kind of we might think of it as dull, we might think of it as unimportant. But God doesn't see it like that. You know, think about it. God has preserved this list in his infinite wisdom. He has preserved it through time. And do you know what that means? That means something really important. That means that God has something to say to us. It means that God has got something to say to you this morning through this list of names. In Genesis chapter 5. Okay, that's our first preliminary question. We can't just skip Genesis 5. Second preliminary question. Is this, what we've got in front of us, is it just a strict genealogy? A strict genealogy. Do you see what I mean? See, over the years... Some guys, you know, scholars and commentators and the like, they've come to Genesis 5 and they've come armed with a pencil and they've also come armed with a calculator. And what they've done is they've typed in all the numbers and they've made some pretty bold pronouncements from it. They've said, you know, because of that guy's age there and because of that guy's age there, we do all the calculations. Okay, that is the year of the flood. And then they count backwards and they say, oh, because he was that old, and Methuselah, he was that old, okay, let's count backwards. Adam was born in that year. Now, is that how we should deal with this? Is that how we should approach this portion of Scripture? Well, 
perhaps. But what happens is that biblical genealogies work very often different to that. And in Genesis 5, when it says, for example, let's take an example, Enosh became the father of Canaan, that could equally be translated, Canaan was an ancestor of Enosh. Now, do you see what that means? It means that this isn't necessarily a strict chronological genealogy. Generations and generations could be skipped here. So Canaan might be the son of Enosh, but he might also be the great, great, great grandson of Enosh. Okay. Third, final preliminary question. And I, if I was a betting man, I would wager significant cash that you thought about this question when we read through the text. Third preliminary question is this. What on earth is going on with the ages of these guys? How come these guys lived for so long? How come they were so incredibly old? Well, to be honest, the answer I will give is that we don't honestly know. There is a whole raft, a whole load of reasons why these men might have lived to such a great age. It might be that at this early stage in humanity, that mankind was uh, genetically purer and less susceptible to disease. Could be that. Could be that these men lived longer so that they could populate the earth. Could be that. It could be that the earth prior to the flood that the earth was more conducive to longer life. It could be any one of these things and more. The truth is that we just don't know. All we know, friends, is that Scripture tells us that these guys lived long. Now, I'm happy to go with that. And I hope you are too. Okay. Let's breathe. Those were our three uh, preliminary questions. Now, let's look at uh, this genealogy uh, together. Let's look at the genealogy. And let's begin this by quoting Aristotle. Okay? Now, this is not something that I, I do every day, but let's quote Aristotle. He says, in his Poetics... What Aristotle did was he, he analysed something called a dramatic structure. And he said, it's a famous quote, you'll have heard it. He said, in a good story, there needs to be a beginning, good beginning, a middle, and an end. A good beginning, middle, and an end. Now, if we look at this genealogy together, what do we see? 
we see a formula, don't we? We see a pattern that emerges here. What does the formula look like? Well, a man's name is mentioned, isn't it? That's how it starts. And then it gives the man's age when he fathered the next person on the list. Then what happens? Well, then it gives how many years he lived after that. So, do you see it? All the way through Genesis 5, you've got a pattern and you've got a formula. But, here we go. The formula is different at certain points, isn't it? It's different at the beginning, it's different in the middle, and it's different at the end. And the formula differs for a very, very good reason. It differs, the writer changes the formula to bring things out. The formula changes to make certain important emphases. So what we'll do this morning, very briefly, is just look at where the formula changes. We're going to look at the three guys. The three guys. We're going to look at Seth, the beginning, Enoch, in the middle, and Noah at the end. So those are three main points. Seth, Enoch, and Noah. So the first one is Seth. Seth. So at the beginning of of, of chapter 5, it kind of feels like we've stepped into the TARDIS, doesn't it? It kind of feels like we have opened the door to Marty McFly's DeLorean and we have been shot back into time, doesn't it? Because verse 1 sends us back to the creation of man. It says man, or Adam, was created in the image of God. But then what happens? Well, we, we move from Adam to this guy Seth. And that formula changes. And it changes by adding information about Seth, doesn't it? Can you see that? It says that Seth was like, or in the likeness of Adam. Seth was like Adam. So why does it say that? Why change the pattern and the formula? Well, let me suggest three things. Okay? Three things for that. One, that Seth was like Adam. It obviously means that Seth bore the image of God. You know, it's a simple, very, very simple uh, biblical extension that we've got, don't we? You know, we're told that Adam bore the image of God, and then we're told that Seth was in the likeness of Adam. So what do we know about Seth? We know that Seth also bore the image of God. Now, I don't have to linger on this at all, because we looked at this in quite a lot of detail just a few weeks ago. We looked at the fact that your life is important. We looked at the fact that human life has this inherent dignity, that it has this importance. Why? Well, because not just Adam, Seth too, and everyone after him, we all bear 
the image of God. So that's the first thing. The second thing, that Seth was like Adam, that he was like him, it teaches us the reality of inherited sin, doesn't it? Inherent sin. So Seth was like Adam. So we've got to ask, well, what was Adam like? Seth was like him, what was Adam like? Well, we know. We've just seen Genesis 3. We know that Adam was a sinner, don't we? We know that that Adam, you know, in the garden, what did he do? He rejected God. He turned against God. He turned away from him and he was tarnished by sin. And we know that Seth was like Adam. It shows us that Adam's sin didn't just affect him. It affected Seth as well. It was inherent sin. And we know that it affects us too. And then the third thing it tells us, that Seth was like Adam. It shows us that Seth was a man favoured by God. He was like Adam, and it shows us that he was a man favoured by God. How and why? Well, there's no doubting, is there, that Adam was a man who saw God's rich blessing. Is there? You know, God, what did God give Adam? Well, he gave him life for a start, and he gave him affluence, if you like. He gave him companionship, he showed him grace, he showed him love, and Seth was like Adam. Seth also was shown love and grace by God. And what that does is it takes us to the biggest thing in this genealogy. It takes us to the most important thing in this list in Genesis 5. You see, this list that begins with Seth, moves through Canaan and Enoch and all these guys comes to Noah. This is a list of righteous men. That's what this list is. This is a list of men who were godly. This is a list of men who were blessed and were favoured by God. And to understand that, we've got to see it up against and in contrast with the list that was at the end of the previous chapter. And we read that last week. Do you remember that? The list of Cain and the list of his descendants. Now that was a different list. That was a list of the ungodly. That was a list of the wicked. That was a list that began and ended with murderers. And we have to understand this list in Genesis 5 up against that list there. And what happens is that that takes us to a biblical truth. A basic biblical truth. That there is, friends, no neutral ground. There ain't no neutral ground. There are two lines. There are the ungodly with Cain, or there are the godly with Seth. 
And to apply that, let me take you back to France, okay? To a couple of weeks ago to France. And picture the scene, if you will. So I'm on my family holiday. And we're driving around France. And despite the fact that we've got sat-nav, we cannot find our holiday home. We just cannot find it, you know, and... It's a car full of stubborn people. And we all say we've got a great sense of direction and we're all taking control, but we still cannot find that holiday home. But we know we're close. And we drive up this road and we come to the end of the road and there is a fork in the road and there are two paths at the end of it. And one path, thankfully we find out, leads round to this house, this beautiful house. You know, with olive trees and almond trees there. It was beautiful. We see the other path. I would find out later when I was out in a walk. Well, that other path, it led to a vicious and ferocious French dog that was thankfully chained up. But you see the point, don't you? There are only two paths. There is the path of Seth, the godly path, the path that leads to glory. Or there is the path of Cain, the path of the wicked, the path that leads to destruction in hell. And I suppose the question is obvious. Which line are you in this morning? Which line are you in? But let's not just be content to apply it. Let's think about who's not mentioned in this genealogy. Let's think about who's not mentioned here. You see, the naming of Seth in this list is something that brings hope, isn't it? Because before this, what we've had is disaster. We've had the wickedness of the fall, and then we've had the wickedness of Cain, But now with this mention of Seth, things change. Here is a mention of one who is in the likeness of Adam, one who is in the image of God, one who is righteous. Well, let me tell you this, folks. The amazing thing about this genealogy in Genesis 5 is that it doesn't end with Noah. It points forward And this genealogy here, it points forward to one who is made in the likeness of Adam. Yeah. But it points forward to one who is fully and entirely God. This genealogy points forward to Jesus Christ. And I'd say to you this morning, if you want to be in that righteous line, then that will only ever come through Jesus Christ. It will only come through repentance and forgiveness in him. Okay, when I was um, 10 or 11 years old, I started playing cricket. And I loved it. It was an unusual thing for a sort of young Indonesian boy to be doing. But nevertheless, I loved cricket. And so my dad one day, what he did was he sort of intervened and he chucked me in the car 
And he packed some bags and he drove me down to Manchester. And we watched a test match between the West Indies and England. And he said, he sat me down in the stand and he said, Andy, you want to be a good fast bowler, do you? Well, watch these guys. Watch these boys in action and learn from them. And I sat for the rest of the day transfixed on these incredible West Indian fast bowlers. You see, my dad's point were that my dad's point was that these guys were an example, an example to follow, and that's what we come to in the in the middle of this genealogy when we come to the guy Enoch. You saw him mentioned there, Enoch, and again with him this this formula changes, and it says I don't know if you saw it in verse twenty four. If your Bibles are open, have a, have a look. It says that in verse 24 that Enoch walked with God. That's the expression that's used, walked with God. Now what does that mean? Well, the word walked, it's used of intimacy. It's used of a close connection. And that tells us that Enoch was a man distinguishable even from the rest of these godly men. He was a special man. He was a man distinguishable because of this incredible piety and devotion and closeness that he had with God. And then look at how it manifests itself in the text. Do you see that? What else is said about this man, Enoch? Look at it. Verse 24. It says that God took him away. Enoch was no more. God took him away. Do you see what that says? It says that Enoch didn't die. He didn't die. Such was his relationship that God took him up to glory. But notice something else, if you will. Notice that the the writer of Genesis is doing something here. He is drumming home the norm by drawing attention to the exception. That sounds strange. I'll say it again. He's drumming home the norm, what normally happens, by drawing attention to the exception. What does that mean? Well, look at it. He breaks the formula and tells us of Enoch's unique departure from the earth. Now, why does he do that? He does it to highlight for us what always happens. He does it to highlight what he says about every single other person on that list. What does he say about each and every other one? Then he died. Then he died. God is telling us here in scripture, he's reinforcing that sin in the fall, it led to misery and it led to death. So friends, can I ask you just a couple of questions on that? If you're a Christian this morning, can I ask you, are you walking with God? Are you? Are you walking with him? Do you take 
each step with your God. You know, when you get up in the mornings and you've got your day ahead of you, do you step into that day with God? Do you pray? Really pray when you get up? Do you study God's word? Do you listen to see what he wants you to do that day? Do you walk with him? When you step into work, are you doing the same thing? Are you walking with God? Are you looking for opportunities to to share your faith and be an example? Do you walk with him? But can I also say that Enoch's unusual departure from the earth, it very much speaks of the believer's relationship with death, doesn't it? You see, because in God, through Christ, death has lost its sting, hasn't it? Just like Enoch, death is diluted in Christ. Now consider tomorrow, what's happening tomorrow. We have got Nancy's funeral. Nancy, a lady who's been a part of the church for so long. Now, that will be a sad occasion. And that woman will be missed. She will be missed by her family. And she will be missed by our church family. But praise God. Because Nancy walked with her creator. She walked with him. And he has taken her home to be with him. And just as when we looked at Seth and we saw him as a foreshadow of somebody who's going to come later, what do we see here with Enoch? We see the same thing. Enoch, who does he point forward to? He points forward to somebody who walked with God, who's someone who had that perfect unison and intimacy with his father. And Enoch also points forward to someone who lived when they should have died. Because Enoch avoided death. But our Saviour Jesus Christ, he conquered it. He defeated it. So friends, I would say to you this morning, let Jesus Christ not just be an example for your life as Enoch was. Christ is bigger than that. Don't let him just be an example for you to follow. Let Jesus Christ be your king. Let him be your saviour. Let him be your all. Let Christ be your Lord. Now we end just by looking at our third thing just now. Now if if you're someone who likes music, you might have been to a big concert or a big gig in the recent past and if you have you will know that just as the the artist walks onto the stage what happens is there's this kind of just before the the, the crowd you know applaud just before that happens there tends to be this little pause there's this sort of collective sigh it's like it's him here he comes as he walks onto the stage whether that be I don't know, Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen or 
Michael Bublé or somebody like that. But that's, that's what sort of happens here. Because we've seen the beginning and the middle and now we come to the end because what happens is a figure walks onto the stage of history here. Genesis chapter 5. A crucial Old Testament figure. In comes the man who's going to play his crucial role. It is the man, Noah. Here comes Noah. So what's the main point about Noah? Very briefly. Well, let me ask you, how is the formula broken with Noah? Do you see it? This formula is broken. And extra information is given here. In verse 29, it says, Lamech says, Noah will bring comfort to his people. That's the pronouncement, the prophecy about Noah. Noah will bring comfort to his people. Well, what does that mean? Well, it could be a number of things. But it most likely points forward to the flood that would come and engulf the earth. And in that terrible, terrible event, the Lord is going to act and the Lord is going to preserve mankind and he's going to do that through one man. He's going to do it through Noah. Now see the truth and the reason for this break in the formula. God is a God who provides comfort. He's a God who provides comfort. Now that's the case in Genesis 5. But that is also the case this morning. And I would say to you, are you facing, you know, anxiety? Are you facing perils? Are you facing worry? Are you facing grief even? We'll see here that God is the one. God is the only one who is going to provide relief. He's going to provide peace. Because he is the God of all comfort. And as we end, we end with this. As we end, we must understand how that comfort, through whom that comfort comes. Because by this addition to the formula here, Lamech speaks about Noah in the most optimistic terms. Doesn't he? There's real optimism here in what he says about Noah. He says, you know, look, here comes one, here comes Noah, one who's going to lessen the curse on mankind. Here is one that's going to bring that relief and peace. Here is our Redeemer. That's what Lamech's saying here. And friends, just as we've seen that Seth and Enoch point forward, we see that all the more clearly with Noah. The momentum of of this list in Genesis 5, it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going until it reaches Calvary. The momentum of the list moves forward until it hits the cross. And Jesus Christ, the one who died there, he is the one who will bring you 
that comfort. He is the one who fulfills Lamech's prophecy, that optimistic prophecy, that prophecy of a redeemer. So I guess we end just by repeating that first question that we had. you remember that preliminary question we had? Should we not just skip Genesis 5? I don't know. But I hope that you've seen this morning that we mustn't skip Genesis 5. Why not? Because this is a chapter that points forward. And it's a chapter that tells us that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's pray.